Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. We are going to talk about marriage for the next four weeks and relationships. We're talking about single people. We're going to talk about all of it, okay? Relationship goals. This is good for any relationship that someone you have with the opposite sex or even just a friend as well. If there's relationships that you have that are just kind of ongoing and what's going on with that. So I just want to encourage you, let's dive in, let's engage, let's go for it. I want to mention these four little bo- these boards up here, which Kaylin Thompson actually made these. It's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? So we come over here. You can follow me with that camera. Hi, camera. <clears throat> right over here is called Christ Centered. This is the one we're going to talk about today. All right? So we're going to go through these because every week I'm going to have a test with you if you guys remember what these things are. So we got Christ-centered, okay? Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping, okay? You guys with me? Let's practice again. What's the first one? Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping, okay? One more time. I'm not going to walk though. Now, do you guys not want to say it or do you really not know them? All together. Here we go. All right, good, good. These are the, um, these are the four we're going to unpack the next four weeks on what it takes to have a healthy, God-honoring relationship and marriage with your spouse. But we got to start, we got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. And this is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Hallelujah. Make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Now, um, there's, there's two things about this that I want to mention. Um, I am going to ask Adam when we get to heaven, did he get lazy when he got to the fly? Was he just there, the last animal? He's like, oh, okay, you're fly. But in reality, I feel a little ringy, guys. Is this ringy to you guys? Yeah. yeah can we, is there a way we can fix that? David, is there any way we can fix that? Um, in reality, your name has purpose. Your name has meaning. When, when, when Adam, God gave Adam the power, the empowerment, if you will, to name the animals. And it wasn't just like, oh, you look like a lion, so I think I'm going to call you a lion. No, there was no lion existed before Adam said lion. Just like your name has a purpose and a meaning. Your name has a purpose and a a meaning. Yeah, your parents may not have been as intentional as Adam was, but make no mistake about it. Because your name has a purpose and a meaning, that means that you have a purpose and a meaning. You have a purpose and a meaning here on this planet, here in this world. You're not just here just to go to work, pay your bills, and then die later. You have a purpose and a meaning. You are here on purpose for a purpose. And it's the reason why 
Before I say this, I want to preface this with this. We love every single person here. No matter who's gone through what, no matter what you're enduring this morning, but it's the reason why that we believe that every life matters. From womb to tomb, every life matters. Why? Because every life has a purpose and a meaning. Amen? Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Hallelujah, he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. And then the Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, at last. Someone say, at last. At last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. When you look up the word relationship goals on a web browser, there's a lot of things that happen. As a matter of fact, relationships right now is in the top, relationship goals is in the top five trending hashtags. Does anybody know what a hashtag is? A hashtag is a pound sign, okay? On your phone, okay, that's a hashtag. And I won't tell you where the origins came from that. I'm sure there's a lot of it in, in, in the history of the hashtag. But my kids tell me that I'm outdated when I say this, but we, what we do is we do the hashtag, we go like this, hashtag, okay? Now, I know that's, that's old school, but um, hashtag, okay? So when you look up the word hashtag, relationship goals in a browser, or better yet, if you go to Facebook or Instagram or whatever the case is, and you, and you type pound sign, hashtag, relationship goals, you get all kinds of stuff that comes out. It is in the top five trending hashtags because everybody is hungry and desires a healthy relationship with people especially their spouse. But it's funny what the trend really shows and what it really says compared to what real healthy relationships really mean. The pictures that you'll find when you type it up, let's say Instagram or Facebook, you're going to find pictures like this. You're going to find relationship goals, hashtag. Hashtag relationship goals. Oh, how cute that is, relationship goals just to be right in the middle of the sun as you take that perfect picture, right? Or you'll see this one. I mean, who doesn't want this? The long drive. I'm guessing that's somewhere in California. Of course, California. Somewhere in California. Because everyone has a car like that. A minivan, yeah. The other one you'll see, this is my favorite, is the woman falling off the cliff. Because, you know, when you think of relationship goals, I mean, who doesn't want their wife to subject themselves to falling off a cliff, right? I mean, that's just the perfect, that's the perfect scenario for any relationship and for every marriage. I mean, I tried to do that with my wife one time and she didn't have that at all. She's like, uh-uh, I don't think so. 
You know, relationship goals, it's so interesting. There's another one that I have that didn't show up there. It was a, a picture of, especially it's really, really current. Um, it's a picture of a couple getting out of their very warm car to be in the middle of a snowstorm to take that picture, perfect picture in front of the headlights in a major snowstorm. You know, can you just imagine that? They got their kids out and they said, hey, uh, hey son, go over there and take a picture with our phone. And they had to like get it dialed in nice and neat and nice and right. And they went, ah, snap, and took that picture. And it says, relationship goals, hashtag relationship goals. I can't wait with my spouse to get out of a warm car to go take a picture in front of the headlights in the middle of the winter storm. <laughs> relationship goals. See, when most people see pictures like this, they instantly think, if you're thinking to yourself, they go, I want that. I want that. want that. I want that. And I would challenge that and I would ask, what do you mean? Define what that is. I want that. So define what that is. And most people, what they're really saying is, you know, we want love. Like, you know, sitting in front of a fireplace with our pottery bomb blankets on, drinking hot chocolate while someone takes a picture of us. You know, that kind of love. That's, that's really what we want. You know, they really want that kind of love. They want that thing. And most of the time, people can't clearly define what that is. See, I believe that Kristen and I, we've got a, we've got a pretty good relationship. We've been married for 20. Help me out, baby. I'm going to get in trouble. I know, right? Kristen, are you listening to me? I'm talking to you. How long have we been married? She forgot too. Oh, oh man. It is game over. <laughs> yeah, relationship goals. Remember your spouse's, remember your anniversary. I won't tell you how old she is, though. I do remember that. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> We've been married for 24 years, 23 years. I'm getting there. Keep it going. No, 23. Sorry. So we're just having a moment. 23 years, right? And I just, I think that we've had a, a, a pretty decent relationship, you know, and all those things. And, 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 and you look at my wife and she's amazing. I'm telling you, she is awesome, isn't she? She is really, really good. But you don't know her like I know her. There's one time when we were first married. Don't say anything. Someone take that mic from her. Well, then you need to come up here so they can see you on camera. Okay. That's how you do it. <laughs> we were first married, and it was about a year into it. And uh, we got in some argument about something. We were just reliving this moment a couple weeks ago. and We got in some argument. We don't even know what it was about. Um, but something rose up so much inside of her that she picked up a shoe, and she chucked that shoe right at me. I mean, wham, George Bush, I mean, just wham through that shoe. Whew, flung it with all of her might. But little did she know that I have shoe dodging capabilities because my mom is full blood Hispanic. And these are the kinds of things that my mom would do. So I just went, boop, dodge, and I kind of laughed a little bit, mistake. I went, is that all you got, you know, inside of me? Well, that shoe, because I was so quick reflexed, that shoe went all the way through the window of our apartment. Second story, and I can just, you know, imagine the people below us. Well, they, they must have gotten an argument. 
right? But it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, because when we were first married, I, I would never advise us to, uh, to young couples, but we lived in the hood, man. Like we lived in the ghetto, didn't we? Literally, we heard gunshots, just apartments over. You know, that's just how it was. And so the, the difficult thing for that, the embarrassing part for that, wasn't the shoe, wasn't my, you know, Mexican, you know, dodging abilities. It was, it was the fact that I had to go to the landlord and, you know, walk in there nice and uh, sheepishly and embarrassed all over my face and, and just go, uh, we broke a window and I wanted to leave it there. But of course the landlord goes, well, how? And I went, well, see, you got to know my wife. She, uh, so I started to develop this huge story and, uh, and, and, and the landlord says, oh, don't worry about it. We had a gunshot through a window just a couple days ago. You guys are okay. And I was like, yes, thank you, Lord. But that was enough for us not to throw shoes again, <laughs> right? So from then on, I knew that everything my wife said was just right, and I loved her for it, and I never argued again. <laughs> and we know that that's wrong. Because everyone knows, if you know me, that I'm perfect, right? I don't. There's nothing that I would do to merit a shoe being thrown at me ever. Of course, I say that with all sarcasm. But Kristen and I, you know, we fought. We've, we've had arguments about the silliest things. You know, and if you're married this morning, maybe you'll, maybe you'll uh, resonate with this a little bit. Um, we fought about junk in the house. It's usually the other person's junk, right, that's in the house. You're like, come on, why do you need, why do you go to garage sales and keep buying stuff? Like we have a garage full of garage sale stuff that you're saying to me that we're going to sell in a garage sale. And it just keeps piling and piling and piling, right? She gets on to me though, because, and listen to me, you know, guys, you'll, you'll understand this. She goes, why do you have to keep buying ammunition? I said, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. Amen. Why do you need another magazine? Not a magazine you read. <laughs> well, if you don't know that, I'm not going to tell you. We fight against loading dishwashers. Who's going to load the dishwasher? Right? We have a system in our house, and usually I'm the one who's supposed to load the dishwasher, but I don't. And uh, no, I'm just playing. I do. And uh, we fight against, you know, we fight about how I drive. We argue about how Kristen drives. We argue about how I don't shut doors behind me. Which is not true. I shut every door behind me. At least I think I do. We argue about the temperature in the house. Who's with me? Come on, married couples. It's too hot. It's too cold. Why did you touch that? We argued about how to discipline our kids. We've argued about what to watch on TV. We've argued about who to hang out with. We've argued about where to eat, when to eat, what to eat, how I eat, how I don't eat. Just fill in the blank. We've argued about all of it. Because what people are really asking for when they're looking for that, right? Let me encourage you today, if you're here and you're looking for, for that, 
What you're really asking for is, I'm willing to put in the covenant-keeping work it takes to make my marriage God-honoring and long-lasting. I'm willing to take and I'm willing to do the work. Let me just encourage you this morning that relationships and marriages that last a long time take a lot of work. It doesn't just happen when you, when you, when you hold your wife over a cliff. Hey, baby, we're going to show everyone what it's like to love each other. Just let me dangle you over a cliff real quick. Right? Doesn't work that way. Because relationships and marriages take hard work. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. Is we're going to unpack these four goals. All right? About every relationship. So let's rehash them again. Number one, Christ-centered. Number two, mission-driven. Number three, devil-kicking. Number four, covenant keeping. And every one of these relationships and everyone's relationship, especially if you're married, should have these four things, four foundations, four pillars in your marriage for a healthy marriage to really work. So let's unpack the first one. What does it mean to be Christ-centered in our marriages and in our lives? And it's a fair question to ask because a lot of people don't know what it means to live a Christ-centered life. Let me challenge your thoughts today. That going to church and just trying to be a good person does not necessarily mean that you have a Christ-centered life. A Christ-centered life can be recognized by the simple obedience to his voice and what he's saying. By how much you love to be in his presence and be with him. To do what Jesus actually did while he was on earth. Because that was the mission in Matthew chapter 28 that he gave us to do. And it was called the co-mission on purpose because co means together. We get to do this with Jesus. We get to do this with him. Do what? Win souls, make disciples, cast out demons, cleanse the, cleanse the, uh, the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead. Do everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth. It's the reason why that he went to the cross for us, for the salvation of you and me. He became sin. So what does it mean to have a Christ-centered marriage and relationship? You see, your marriage, my marriage, and our relationships are centered around something. How many would agree with that? It's centered around something, right? What that something is, well, then you get to fill in that blank. But maybe your marriages and our marriages are centered around ourselves, where we want to fulfill us only. And we say things like, how come you never do this for me? How come you never do this for me? How come you never do? And before you know it, the husband is saying, how come you don't do this for me? The wife is saying, how come you didn't do this for me? Because our marriages are centered around our needs, my need rather than each other's needs. Our marriages are centered around something. And maybe for your marriage this morning, maybe it's centered around self. I'm not saying that it's not important to recognize what you need, but what I'm saying is this. What are we doing in our marriage to make the other party feel like they are necessary? Because if not, then you might as well just have a roommate living in the house with you. And maybe for some of us, that's how we feel. But I want you to know that when we keep Christ at the center of our marriage, 
when he, we make him the center of who we are, first of all, number one, us, when we make him the center of our lives, we know and we can be confident in knowing that our lives will walk out in a way where we're Christ-centered and God-honoring first because everything, when that is the number one, everything else follows with that. Our, centers, our marriage are centered around something. Maybe, maybe for you, it's your kids. See, I believe that your kids can take center stage in any marriage where all that you do in your marriage is centered around your kids. Now, listen, kids are important, amen? <laughs> I have two of them. I've got a 20-year-old, which is weird for me to think, okay? Because I'm only 44 years old. And, and I've got a 17-year-old, right? Two, and, and my 17, Samuel, who played the drums this morning, he's an absolute stud, man. Loves football, playing football for on Alaska High. And it's weird for me to think that in just a short year, Kristen and I are going to be empty nesting. That's weird for me, right? When I think of empty nesters, I think of 80, 90-year-olds, you know, but here we are in our forties, baby. We're going to be all alone. <laughs> your marriage can be centered around your kids so much that you forget about your spouse and the relationship you have with them, that everything you do is centered around your kids. Let me just encourage you parents here this morning. I know, especially if you have littles, I know that right now it's really difficult. I know that right now they're running, they're pulling at your leg, they're, they're running all over the place. You tell them no, they say yes, you say yes, they say no. I understand that, I promise you. But if you're married this morning with little children, let me encourage you that one day you will face the things that we're facing, which is empty nesting. And I don't want to be in a relationship with my wife that I don't know when my kids are gone. Yeah. Maybe your marriage centers around your lifestyle. what you do all the time, the busyness of your world, taking the kids here and there, making sure that you go to the store, making sure you're doing this, making sure you do that, making sure, and never making the quality time that your spouse needs to be with you. Never making that quality time for them. You know, one thing that COVID offered to us, which I'm grateful for, is the opportunity to slow down and remember what was important. Everything shut down, Amen. <laughs> I remember when COVID happened, we're coming up on a year anniversary of the America COVID, right? Where everything got shut down. And I remember when it all shut down and I was a little, God dare you shut down. I wasn't mad at anything else. I was just mad at the disease. I was like, Ugh. you know, we have power over this. But I sat back and I took the opportunity for Kristen and I to be centered around Christ and each other and with my children, and we slowed way down during this COVID season. But sometimes the center of our marriages can be the busyness of our lifestyle. And what happens a lot of the times, the relationship goals that want that picture-perfect couple, they want that picture-perfect couple. And what the tendency could happen is, is it has the possibility of driving this myth that I like to call the myth of the one, the myth of the one. If I can just find that one, 
then everything's going to be just fine. If I can just have that one, then everything will be well. If I can just have that one, then I will truly be happy. If I can just find that one. Let me encourage you today. If you are single here this morning and you haven't found that one yet, I'm not telling you to go find that one, but if, you, if you're looking for that one to make you happy, I'm here to tell you this morning that no person can make you happy, only Jesus Christ. Because every single person that is powerful on the inside knows that happiness is an inside job. If you're looking for that one to make you happy, I promise you in about a year, they're going to make you unhappy. When we put our hope and our faith and our trust in that one, if I put my hope, faith, and trust in my wife to make me happy, I will be disappointed with her. I promise you. That's why it's important that we learn how to live from a Christ-centered life. Not just a marriage, but a life. Because in a Christ-centered life, our inside, our soul, what makes up us, is empowered to be close to him, where he is our only satisfaction, and he is the only one that could fulfill. See, I like to say, instead of saying, I think I have that one, or I think I found that one, or I think I met that one, you know, I get single people who say, I think I met that one. Ooh, I think I met that one. I think I met that one with the buff muscles. Mm, girl. Right? Ooh. Right? I think I found that one. Here's the thing. The goal, and what I want to encourage you to say and believe, instead of saying, I think I met that one or I think I found that one, was I think I found the two and that I've met the two. I've met the two. What do I mean by that? See, in a Christ-centered marriage, Jesus is your one and your spouse is your two. Jesus is your one and your spouse is your two. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 37 says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When we make Christ the one and everything around us the two, we make our spouse the two. It's not to say that you don't love your spouse. It does not say that you don't love your kids. It just simply means this, that Jesus takes precedent. I, listen to me, God does not revolve around my world. I revolve around his, around his atmosphere, around what he wants. Because if I get that twisted in any way, shape, or form, which I do from time to time, I make mistakes just like the next person. But when I get that twisted and it becomes, it becomes a, a, a upside down living, right? I find myself discouraged. I find myself disappointed. I find me feeling like I'm not good enough to do what I'm doing. That I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just out there not making any kind of impact. But when Christ is a center and I revolve around him, the whole world is aligned correctly to what he has for me. So you have some pictures to illustrate where we're gonna, what we're talking about is Christ being the number one. See, I've got this circle with the question mark in the middle of it. Because all of us center around something like I talked about. 
Maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your lifestyle, or maybe it's Christ. See, what's at the center will affect your values and your beliefs. Amen? It'll affect your values and what you believe. And your value and your beliefs affect your actions and your decisions. Your values and belief affect your actions and your decisions. And your actions and decisions affect the impact and influence in your lives, your marriages, and the world around us. So when our center, and that question mark, when our center is us and self, that in turn is going to affect the way we value what we value in our belief about us. That, is, that in turn is going to affect the actions and decisions about our lifestyle. And that in turn will impact and influence the world around us when we're focused about us, just us only. If it's your kids, same thing, same progression. If it's your lifestyle, same thing, same progression. But when it's Christ, and Christ is at the center of that question mark, it definitely affects your values and your beliefs. Right, Arm? It definitely affects the actions and the decisions that you make with your personal life. It definitely affects the impact and the influence that you have in your marriage and in your life. When Christ is the center, when he is the one, not your spouse, not your kids, not your lifestyle, but when he is the one, it affects everything around you. So to those who are married yet, let me talk to you for a minute. If you want a Christ-centered married in the future, marriage in the future, live a Christ-centered life today. Live a Christ-centered life today. Let me just encourage you. If you're not married here this morning and you aspire to have a marriage that is God-honoring where you're both working together for the same thing, then it might be time to evaluate and check our own personal lives and our hearts right now. It might be time for us to evaluate what is at the center of our hearts. Now's the time, single people, to get serious. Don't wait till you get married to where you start attending church more and more. Don't wait till you get married to where you start reading your Bible. When I get married, it'll be much easier for me to read my Bible and pray. Let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier. I can't wait for my spouse so we can go to church together. Oh, until then, I'm just going to go party and live it up. Listen, listen to me. You don't build a life of righteousness in the future on the foundation of sin today. You don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. So I, if I can encourage any, <coughs> excuse me, any single person that's here this morning, Take this one as serious as you can. Be as Christ-centered as you can in your walk with him. Get involved in church. Go all in. Get involved in a small group. Go all in. Now's the time maybe for some of us to really get serious about our relationship with the Lord. Amen. So how do you keep and maintain a Christ-centered marriage? <coughs> Excuse me. If I would have taught this 10 years ago, I would have given you a huge list, a gigantic list of things that you should do from one side, from, from the East Coast to the West Coast, right? 
a huge thing of, of how you keep Christ in the center and, and, and how to live a God-honoring marriage. You know, like, like things like read your Bible together and go to church together and get involved together, become mission-driven together. And, and then the list would have went on and on and on and on. But what I've discovered is that most of us won't even do one of those things because it's too much to ask for a lot of people. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll just talk about three things for us to do to have a Christ-centered marriage and a God-honoring marriage. And I thought, you know, out of those three things, most people would just do one of those things. So I broke it on down. And in my opinion, the one thing you can do with your spouse to maintain a Christ-centered marriage is simply, I'm going to ask for you to pray together every day. Just pray together every day. Because couples that pray together, stay together. Now listen, know what you're thinking. Most wives in here are going, oh yay, he's telling my husband to pray with me. I can't wait. My husband's finally going to pray with me. And maybe, maybe there are some husbands here this morning who says, ah, oh, crap. I should have skipped today. I knew it. So I didn't mean a Christian swear there, but I did. So let's just assume. You know why, you, you know why people find it, married couples have a hard time praying with one another? It's because there's this idea in this sense that prayer is supposed to be private. You pray to yourself, you know? You're... You don't pray with other people, especially your spouse. You know, that's, that's weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, what? A, that's weird. It's just a private thing that I do, Pastor. Why would you ask me to pray with my spouse? You know, that's something private that I do. Let's, let's just assume today that if you're married today and, and privacy is at the top of your list, I'd suggest to you this morning that if you're married, you've probably gone to the bathroom with your spouse in the bathroom with you. Yeah? You don't have to raise your hand. It's, it's, it's up to you, okay? That's a private thing. Let's just assume today that if you're married here this morning, you've probably had kids. You know, lesson on this, but there's some mouth action that takes place when you're going to have kids. Back in the day, we used to call it you swap spit with. That's a private thing. See, if I were the devil today and I stood up here with horns on my head, <laughs> and if I were the devil, I would make praying with your spouse the most awkward and weirdest thing for couples to do. Because make no mistake about it, there is an attack right now in our nation on the marriage unit. Hear me, and I'm gonna say this clear with no apology. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And I want you to know that if there's something internally you're struggling with, when it comes to same-sex attraction or homosexuality or whatever the case is. One of the big lies right now going on in our nation is 
little three-year-old kids, four-year-old kids can choose what gender they're going to be. Let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. But hear me out this morning. If you're here and there's things going on with you, love conquers all. And the love of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. There's nothing greater than being set free from something we've been in bondage of. And God can do that today. But if I were the devil, man, I would make it my my primary weapon is the target, the marriage unit. And make it feel extremely awkward for the spouses to pray with one another. And I would say things like this. You know what you're saying is not really good enough. I would say things like this. She doesn't think you're godly enough. You know, I would say this. You know, that thing you did last week, God's really mad at you, so you don't really have a right to pray to him. I don't know about you, man, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Zero. But if I were the devil, those are the kinds of things I would say. So to combat that this morning, I'm going to teach you how to pray with your spouse. Sounds like the easiest thing to do. But I'll just be real honest with you because I'm a guy. We got this like thing, right? It's real, right? Pray with my spouse. Let me tell you, real men pray with their spouses. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Doesn't matter how big buff you are. Doesn't matter how tough we think we are. If we can't pray with, I'm just talking to the guys here, okay? Because I'm a dude. If we can't pray with our wives, we need an internal check. So how do you pray with your spouse? Husbands and wives. Number one, keep it short. Thank God I don't got to know the these and thou's, right? And then, thou loveth thee, O goddess. That'd be too much for me to handle. Couldn't do it. So keep it short. Keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. If you miss a day, don't miss two. Because it's easier to develop a habit of not praying with your spouse than it is to develop one to pray with them. It's easier to get and talk your way out of a habit that's good for you, okay, than a habit that is bad for you. So if you miss a day, don't miss two. And here's all you have to say. I'm gonna put a prayer up here for those of us who might need a little help with praying. And don't be ashamed, okay? Because some of us just might need a little help. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, and it's okay if it is, right? Just take a little snapshot of this picture so that way you can have a cheat sheet when you're praying with your spouse. Ain't nothing wrong with it. No shame in that game. And it simply just says this. Dear God, while you're holding your wife's hands or when you're laying in bed, say, dear God, give us wisdom and clear direction in all we do today. Help us to show your love to each other and to shine your light into the world. Keep us close to you away from temptation, and always in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. As simple as that is, that's all you have to do to pray with your spouse. 
Wives, if you have a husband that doesn't serve the Lord or vice versa, pray for them. The Bible says to wash your spouse with the word of the Lord. Don't scrub them. There's a difference. If you're always harping on your spouse when you go to church, you're never good enough. You're not good enough. You, you never want to go to church with me. Do you think that that's really going to encourage them to go to church with you? <laughs> they know your manipulation tactics, right? They know them. They're not going to want to go to church with you the more you tell them to do it. But when we love them, when we honor them, when we respect them, when we make Christ the center of our personal lives, your spouse will want what you have. They're gonna want what you have. So when we pray together, that long list that I would have given you 10 years ago, all that stuff has the, just some kind of way of following. You'll end up going to church together more frequently. You'll end up going to small group more frequently. You'll end up going to Bible studies together. You'll end up going on dates together. You'll end up doing all these kinds of things together when we learn how to pray together. Like I said before, prayer and praying together will lead to more intimacy with each other as well. See, I promise you, if you're praying together, you're gonna to find it more difficult to argue with one another. I'm not gonna say you're not gonna argue. That'd be foolish for me to say that. But it'd be more difficult, be harder to, be harder to fight. It'd definitely be harder to throw shoes at one another. It definitely, listen to me. And I know every gender deals with this. The, the, the man and the woman, I know they deal with this. It would definitely be more difficult to look at pornography. It'll definitely, if you pray together, it'll definitely squelch any thought that you have in your mind about someone else at work that fulfills your needs. Listen, I've been in ministry now for 24 years. It feels like I've heard and almost seen it all when it comes to marriages. About how my husband and how my wife fill in the blank. The enemy's out to destroy your marriage because number one, that's the fingerprints of the enemy, to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy's out for that. And he wants to ruin the marriage unit because the marriage unit is the one thing that Jesus equates himself to the church with. And that's a unit, that's a marriage. So as I close today, let's just close our head, or close our eyes and bow our heads and close your head too if you want. What I want to do is I just want to say a quick prayer for our marriages, but I do want to ask this simple question. If you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I need prayer, man. Will you just pray for my marriage? I just, it's not hurting right now, but man, I just want it to be stronger and stronger and stronger. We just quickly put it up your hand and put it right back down. Good. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. It's not like you're in a bad place, but man, you just want it to get strong. Thank you. You can put your hand down if you lifted it. Hallelujah. The last question is this, and then I'm done. And then I'm gonna have Kristen come up. If you're here this morning 
and you don't know Jesus personally, I'm not talking about if you come to church or not, but if you don't know Jesus personally, you don't know what it's like to have a Christ-centered life, and you wanna know that today, and you wanna make a decision today to commit your life to Jesus Christ, maybe for the first, maybe for the second time, maybe for the third. And you know that your life's not living right with Jesus, but you wanna get it right today. If that's you, we just slip your hand up real quick and put it right back down. Awesome, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate your hands. So all together, if we can just pray this, if you could just repeat this after me, just say, Father, forgive me my sin. Come into my life. Make me brand new. I'm sorry for being disobedient, but today I make it right. I give everything that I am to you. In Jesus' name, amen.